Hi, this is Susie Fawcett, and I'm speaking today remotely with Southern Cross student ambassador and science student Luke Austin. Luke is based in Coffs Harbour and is in his second year of a Bachelor of Marine and Environmental Science. Hi, Luke, and welcome. Hi, Susie. Firstly, what prompted you to study marine and environmental science at Southern Cross University? Well, for me, um, I was really lucky. I, I think I knew what I wanted to study from a very young age. I spent a lot of time in the water and out of the water, uh, very immersed in the in the science sort of area. And I think that that's what um, drove me to choose the course that I did, um, especially being environmental and marine science. It has a has a very good mix of all of those things. I was based in Coffs Harbour. So Coffs Harbour having the National Marine Science Centre as part of Southern Cross University was definitely really appealing to me. I saw at Southern Cross University that there was a great opportunity to get hands-on with range of different um, research uh, that was happening there. And that, that's sort of what drove me to, to stay local and stay in Coffs Harbour. For me, I think regional unis present a lot of advantages, Small, smaller classes uh, at times. So you get to build better relationships with, I guess, your academics. And you obviously have a better opportunity to throw your hand up and take part, I guess, in, in more research projects that are going on throughout the university. So that was definitely a big tick for me. During your first year of study, you took part in an amazing project in partnership with the Australian Marine Debris Initiative. This project took you to Cape York Peninsula and found you living offshore for a couple of weeks. Can you tell us about this experience? Really early in my studies, a partnership between Southern Cross University's National Marine Science Centre, a non-government organisation uh, by the name of Tangaroa Blue, um, who's doing work with the Australian Marine Debris Initiative, um, had an opportunity uh, to assist with a research operation that left out of Cooktown. So what I did was I uh, flew up to Cairns and then we drove from Cairns to Cooktown. I met the, the crew in, in Cairns. From Cooktown, we boarded a really large vessel and we went out to sea and we spent a number of days and nights uh, on the really northern Great Barrier Reef, visiting some really uh, remote locations and less visited locations on the reef. Uh, Lizard Island was one of the stops, but there are a number of different islands that we, we stopped on and we did research. So basically what the Australian Marine Debris Initiative is, is it's a program that enables organisations and volunteers taking part in cleanup events to build data on specific items that are found and also the locations where they are found. So it has a consistent methodology. So basically everything that is recorded can be collated into a national database on marine debris. So what we found ourselves doing is uh, we were on beaches, on the reef, we were, we were collecting anything and everything that we found. Uh, and then in the afternoon, we'd, we'd spend time separating all the debris that we would pick up um, from the water and from the, the coastline on these on these remote islands. And we would we would record them based on on where they were found and what the specific features of each of the debris was. 
And so to give you a little bit of, of, of info on, on the space, since 2004, more than 7 million pieces of data have been inputted. So that's a massive amount of data. And since it's all standardized, it's a really effective tool to measure what's happening in the marine debris space. So it, it, it really clearly shows what the issues are, where they are, and how they're impacting on all the different corners of Australia. As a student, uh, an early student, it was it was a really good opportunity for for me to get to know a large program. So this program spanned all of Australia, and I, I got to learn a lot about how a big, multi-year operating program would be would be run. But it was a really great opportunity to see some places that uh, I think I'll remember forever. From memory, we we cleaned we cleaned about ten tons of marine debris from from the ocean on on our trip there. Uh, we took it all back. It was uh, recycled accordingly, but mainly the, the data is a really important tool for the ongoing research, the mitigation, the mapping, um, and also measuring, uh, I guess, from, from one place to, to another, what the debris loads are and, and how they differ is a really, really important tool to record where the plastics are coming from, how, they, how they're getting there and uh, what's causing them to build up in specific locations. Am I right in saying that this research project was a world first? The Australian Marine Debris Initiative, as far as I'm aware, is is a, is a, is a sort of a first of its kind initiative. Um, it came as part of a $5 million grant in conjunction with a lot of different partners that are working in the Great Barrier Reef. So that, that $5 million was, was mainly for the reef, for the operation up there and to undertake longer scale research. Tangaroa Blue, they, they do a lot of one day or multi-day beach cleanups. So Hinchinbrook Island is an example. Uh, the beaches around Cooktown. So all those places, they do short ones, but this was the opportunity to do for five years, the same sort of a research trip. The nature of the database actually means that people can collect this and actually be anywhere in Australia and contribute to a nationwide data set. It's not... Um, isolated to one location. Were you snorkeling or were you diving? How did you collect the rubbish? We weren't diving, we were snorkeling. There was a bit of a threat, um, obviously being so far up near the equator, the water's really warm, big threat from jellyfish. So there were there were a few things we had to be aware of, of in the water up there. The majority of the plastics that we collected were plastics that had become beached. So we would usually dock the, the main vessel and use smaller vessels to get to the to the beaches on the islands. And we even boarded a few little little vessels and, and, and got into the beaches on the mainland as well, up up the Cape York Peninsula and, and cleaned those beaches as well. So most of the of the cleanups were on, on land. I can't help but ask this question. Can you tell us about your favorite animal experience of the trip? For me, the highlight would definitely have been the black tip reef sharks. So they were the most prominent, larger species uh, in every area that, that we were. Um, and they're really curious and inquisitive animals. So when we would be in the water, we'd have the sharks come right up to, to us. They'd, they'd come from across the reef and they'd come in and see you and they'd, they'd have a look to see what you were doing in the water while you were there. Um, never, never did I feel, feel alarmed by them. They, they, were, they were quite placid. They weren't skittish at all but they were definitely interested in being involved in, in what was going on, I feel. And when we were in the boats as well, they'd come right up to the side of the boat uh, just, just to see what was going on. Uh, and there was, there was no worry of, um, 
of them at all. And as the, the bleach seeps out uh, into the water. What about living and working alongside a, a team of scientists at sea? How did that work out for you? Yeah, so that was definitely uh, another new experience for me. I, I love being able to wake up in the morning and eat breakfast looking out over a sunrise on the Great Barrier Reef or uh, even a sunset and having dinner with everyone. But look, the trip was really made excellent by the crew that were on board. So we had a really uh, multidisciplinary team on, on, on board the vessel. We had uh, people that work as, as part of NGOs. We had um, state government officials uh, on, the, on the boat. We had uh, people involved in, in different waste, um, waste services. And of course we had um, volunteers as well. And it was, a, it was really a group, um, a group effort. Uh, obviously living, living at sea has a few more uh, things that we need to take uh, take on board than, than than if we were living somewhere else. So we would have a roster, I, I guess, for um, for cooking. So the skipper, um, the skipper of the vessel, he 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 brought uh, his uh, cooking skills to the table with um, chicken curry. So we had chicken curry um, once or twice, and and that was definitely a really good meal to have while we while we were out at sea. Um, I definitely love that. But it's just, it was just a massive group group effort. Such a great experience in teamwork, um, especially when your life depends upon it. It uh, puts a new meaning on teamwork, I think. After this experience, you were then lucky to get back into the field with Ocean Watch. What did this project involve? Yeah, so I met um, someone from Ocean, someone working with Ocean Watch Australia on, on this research trip. And following that, over the past four months, I've been assisting Ocean Watch Australia with their Tide to Tip program. So the Tide to Tip program is an initiative that's driven by the Australian oyster industry. And it's basically to drive sustainability in the Australian uh, estuarine environments used for oyster cultivation. So a lot of us will be, will be living really close to, to those sort of, um, or we will definitely will have seen um, oyster cultivation happening in our local estuaries. So that hits home for, for a lot of people. Um, while the initiative is really driven by the Australian oyster industry, oyster farmers have, have taken the opportunity to partner with other concerned groups. So um, to name a few, we have uh, professional fishers, recreational anglers, um, certainly indigenous organisations, uh, local schools and um, definitely coastal community stakeholders uh, and they, they, they that range a lot. And so basically what it is, it's it's an organised large scale cleanup that's led led by the seafood industry. And it provides uh, a way, I guess, for fishers and farmers to give back to the estuaries um, on which their livelihoods depend. And it ensures also at the same time that the waterways remain pristine and healthy for generations to come. So. The program this year in its second year was was a massive success, and basically, um, Ocean Watch uh, designs a bit of a program that makes it a bit more streamlined for these for these cleanup events to go ahead. So, just uh, in in the end of February, we had uh, 19 estuaries take part in um, large scale cleanups. The program has so far in its last two years removed close to 20 tonnes of marine debris from oyster producing uh, estuaries. And basically 
it's a joint effort between the oyster industry, all the other parties that I mentioned, and especially local councils. So local local government uh, plays a massive part in 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 helping this um, this initiative be, be so successful. So they provide assistance in um, waste disposal and, and things like that. So they definitely provide an avenue to, to get rid of the waste, um, to take to take the that off the minds of the farmers and volunteers who are actually taking part in the in the cleanups. And um, from places like Marimbula on the south coast to uh, Stradbroke Island in southeast Queensland, we had we had councils on board. Um, assisting the farmers and, and the members of the community that were taking part in these and leading these um, cleanups. And, and they, were, they were providing full assistance to, to waste disposal and um, logistics. So, so it was a really successful organisation. And I'm really glad to have been able to, to play a part with so many diverse groups, um, all with the same goal to, to drive sustainability in the, in the oyster industry. And I guess the wider seafood industry in um, the on the east coast of Australia. Congratulations, Luke! You've really done so much in just one year and a few weeks of study. For twenty twenty one, do you have any more scientific adventures scheduled in? Uh, nothing too far from home at this stage. Um, I've just teamed up with Coast Care at a place called for a place not too far from Coffs Harbour called Wulgulga where there's an isolated coastal lagoon there that's um, been undergoing for the last few years some um, environmental uh, issues um, due to various um, land use and, and things in the upper catchment of the of the lagoon there. So over the next few months, I'll be helping the Coast Care organisation there to, um, there, there's a few grants that have been won, also putting in a few grant applications and assisting with, I guess, the ongoing restoration of, of that site as well. Sounds like your weekends and spare time will be well used over the next few months. How do you manage your study and field time commitments? It's definitely a balancing act. I have to, I guess, keep quite quite good note of, of everything that's going on, on on each day. I think studying regionally definitely definitely helped with that. So I, I live quite close by to the to the university and the National Marine Science Centre. So it makes um, it makes it a lot easier for me to go in between. Um, I can can take care of a few other things while I'm while I'm at the um, while I'm on campus at Coffs or at the National Marine Science Centre. Good good facilities to, to do that. And then if I if I do have something that I that I need to attend to from home um, remotely, well I can just quickly duck home and I can do that. Uh, but there's also heaps of heaps of um, good services available, I guess, from the university and, and from these other organisations like Ocean Watch that that really help me get everything done that, that I, that I want to get done. So it's definitely not all done by me. There's definitely a lot of support um, that, that helps me get these things done, which I'm very grateful for. I'm very grateful too. As a Southern Cross University student, there's an enormous amount of support available, isn't there? There certainly is, yeah. I, I've definitely found found that to be the case. There's a lot of um, common misconceptions, I think, that uh, regional unis might not exhibit this these kind of support networks that we think we have to go to the to the major cities for. But you know, I've 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 just found overwhelming support everywhere I've turned. And um, as I said, yeah, I, I could not be more grateful for that. 
I mentioned in the introduction that you're a Coffs Harbour student ambassador. What does this involve? Yeah, so it's it's a pretty privileged role. Um, and I'm really, really glad to have been selected to be an ambassador for Southern Cross University. The day-to-day roles, uh, it's a very varied, varied role. So uh, if anyone visits the campus, um, I'll take them take them in and, and show them show them around the campus. It also includes much longer events. So for example, for about a month every year, we, we get on the road and we travel around to the better half of all of New South Wales high schools and we um, provide information to them on university. So we do this by uh, the means of a presentation that we share with three other regional universities. And we basically explain the key factors of university for those of them that are in year 12 and, and not sure or undecided on whether university might be for them. So it's a great opportunity to get away from uh, what we're doing at home and see some new places, um, meet some meet some amazing people. I've definitely met some, some incredible students that will go a long way. Um, and it's really good to build the relationships between the university, the careers advisors at the school and and, and potentially the students that, that might want to study with us in the future. But it doesn't end there. As I said, the, the, the role of ambassador can be anything and everything every day. It, it's very different um, and it's always changing. But um, so far, it's been a really rewarding experience uh, and I look forward to a jam-packed year. 2021 will be really, really busy for, for that, um, especially coming out of COVID when we, when we were able to not do as many things. But yeah really, really, really great experience to have. And I would definitely um, recommend that any other students that are passionate about studying at university and love to share their experiences with um, the general public and community schools um, to throw their hand up for the role. It's definitely a really rewarding role and it has um, great benefits. How many years left of study do you have, Luke? I guess it will be the rest of this year and the next the next year, 2022, um, to finish sort of the bachelor degree, but it will also be um, another year to get the the double sort of specialization, so the double degree in environmental and marine science. I was extremely lucky being a regional student. Just before I started uni, I put an application in to uh, the Destination Australia scholarship, and I was I was successful in in that. And that scholarship is fifteen thousand um, dollars for every every year of study across four years and that's certainly uh, as a regional student enabled me to um, think less about the costs of uni and think more about um, taking on all these opportunities as well so there are definitely some advantages of uh, studying these degrees regionally there's heaps of opportunities uh, for scholarships and and things like and things like that Um, i'm now up to my sixth scholarship and as I said, studying regionally, I would definitely encourage everyone to put their hands up for every scholarship that comes up, um, because as regional students, there are certainly opportunities still still around, and they definitely allow you to spend more time and energy on taking part in these amazing experiences, um, as well as, as university study. That's a great reminder, Luke. So important to apply for scholarships. You never know. Why not you? You never know. No, you you won't win that you don't. You won't win one that you don't apply for. Exactly. And finally, can you tell us a little bit about your plans for changing the world? What's next after studying? Well, as I've um, 
as I've shown today, a lot of a lot of the stuff that I've been doing has definitely been in the plastics space. Um, I guess it's probably something that we hear all the time, but I'd, I'd really like to push the vision that someday we could live in a world where I guess all the decisions are founded both on their present value and also, but most, more predominantly, uh, the long-term value of things. So this wouldn't, this I guess wouldn't look like making choices founded um, on the fact that something is the easiest or the most economically fit short-term as we know, but it's the action to drive choices that that can make long-lasting change, and it's and it's possible across all levels, I guess. So, governments can be large bodies of change, um, like organisations. Um, large organisations can also be, and small organisations. But um, sometimes we forget it's also individuals. So, as I said, I've been taking part in a lot of community um, events um, since. Uh, 2017, I started with different community events, especially in the marine science um, field. I started with the Rotary Youth Marine Summit in in Coffs Harbour, and I guess I guess it's it's showing uh, showing individuals and organisations that we can make long-lasting change just by the single actions that we take. An example of this is, I guess, single-use plastics. So they might be. Um, an economically strong or sound option in the near term, but they don't really represent long-lasting value. So it, it's it's something that, that a lot of people now know, but it's something that we that we still are not acting upon, I guess, with the urgency that that the that it, that it, that it needs, that the issue needs. So I guess over the next few years, I'd I'd like to use my role as ambassador for the university and the various um, opportunities I've had within non-government organisations to drive drive this um, and, and speak to the urgency that it, that it really needs, that we need to make choices that prepare us for a future, a sustainable future, uh, whether it be in fisheries, whether it be um, in land use, uh, just making the decisions that that set us up for sustainability and don't set us up for economic growth in the short term. Uh, I love the environment. I spend the better half of, of all of my time uh, that I get free outside, um, enjoying the different environments that we have. And I just want to conserve each of them. And I think that the, that the best way to do that is to change the ways that we use them and the ways that we behave around them. So I'll definitely be trying to, to push these and. and make use of the different leverage points we have to, to really bring about action and reduce the impacts that, we, that we're having. The movement is there, but I just think we need to fast track it. Thanks so much for your chat today, Luke. Thank you. Thank you, Susie. Thanks for having me.